0: Jesus, may I come before you this morning and just with joy in our hearts and and awe and wonder in our minds as we gaze into an empty tomb, I pray that you would uh, make this come alive for us, that your resurrection would just overwhelm us this morning, that the power of the resurrection would be afresh for us, that as we open your word, that you would do a work that only you can do that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive it, and that we would leave this place transformed. Don't, don't let us come and, and sing and experience and say, oh, isn't that cute Jesus rose from the dead? No, might we be overcome and transformed by the power of the resurrection? Would you awaken us to the power of the resurrection this morning? Do a work that I cannot do, that we cannot do. Transform us. Praise things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen, friends. Let's do this. Mark 16. Mark 16. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. Reach down there. Fumble around a little bit. I promise it's down there. Mark 16. And in the blue Bible, Mark 16 is on page 946. 946. We've been in the gospel of Mark Um Since last October, okay? So a long time here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. We took a little break there in the middle. Um, But we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, and it ends today. We come to the end of Mark uh, this morning, Easter Sunday. And just to kind of, while you're flipping there, kind of catch us up. For those of you who are maybe not here on Good Friday, right? Good Friday, we gathered here and we fixed our gaze on the cross of Christ, um, and we walked through kind of the events leading up to the resurrection, the resurrection, and even after the resurrection, right? After the resurrection, John kind of took us through a confession there at the end of the night, talking about what transpired, right? We talked about uh, what happened before the resurrection and and kind of the work of the disciples and how they all betrayed, abandoned, and rejected Jesus. Even Mark himself, right? Mark writes himself into the story. We talked about that on Good Friday as a young boy. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, just wearing this linen cloth, and they they try to grab Mark, and uh, he like wiggles out of the cloth and goes running through the garden of Gethsemane naked, right? So we reenacted that on Good Friday. It was amazing. You should have been here, but you weren't. So we did not. We did not do that. We did not do that. John led us in this confession after, after the resurrection, uh, talking about uh, J- Joseph and how, how Joseph asked for the body of Jesus, Right? Uh, he he says that he musters the courage to go to Pilate, and he goes to Pilate and he says, "Can I have, can I have his body?" Um, and and this is a big deal because you don't you don't ask you don't ask for the body of a criminal, right? That body belongs to Rome; it's, it's theirs, and they're just going to leave it there on the cross to to rot or throw it in a mass grave. Maybe, right, but he asks. He's a he's a he's a he's a believer in the kingdom. The text says, a believer in the kingdom of God. And so he goes and he asks. And Pilate turns to the centurion and he says, uh, are, are, you, "Are you sure he's dead? Like, is he is he dead?" And the centurion's like, "No, yeah, he's dead. Like, I, I, a professional executioner. When he breathed his last, I shoved a spear up into his lungs. Like, he's yeah, he's dead." So Pilate looks at Joseph of Arimathea and he says, "Okay." You can have his body. And so Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus off the cross, wraps him in linen, and then Joseph, right, not Joseph, the dad of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, different different guy, takes Jesus' body with Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Mary Magdalene, and they go to this tomb, this new tomb that had never been used before, cut out of the rock, and they place his body in the tomb. The stone is rolled in front of the tomb, and then guarded by Roman soldiers. And and even though Mark's gospel records the least amount of detail, all the other gospels, right, Luke and John and Matthew, they go into greater depth and greater explanation and greater detail on all these events. Mark supplies sufficient information for us right? So many people want to kind of disprove the resurrection, right? Like, it's impossible to disprove Jesus, but so many people want to disprove the resurrection. They're like, well, clearly Jesus didn't actually die, because we know thousands of people saw him after he was, after he died and rose from the dead. Like, so so clearly he didn't actually die. But Mark's like, no, 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 no." like, the Roman centurion killed him. Like, we know he is dead, Right? This, this man knows what death looks like. And they, they're really, really good at killing people. And so we have this, this seal of the, of the Roman centurion. We have the seal of Pilate all saying, yes, he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea takes him and lays him in the tomb. We have this understanding. A lot of people say, well, clearly Mary in the morning of the resurrection goes to the wrong tomb. Right? And it's like, oh, yeah, of course it's empty because it's the wrong tomb. Right, which, is, which doesn't make any sense because it's easy to, to, to disprove. But no, 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 Mary was there when they placed his body. She'd already been to the tomb. It's not far away. She's not lost. She's not confused. Like they've already been there. They know where it's at, right? And so if this, Mark has supplied us with all the information we need to know that Jesus fully died. Jesus was buried in the tomb. The stone was placed in front of it and Roman guards surrounded it until, until the third day. Mark 16, verse one. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the word of God. It communicates a beautiful truth. It's a gift from his hands. And so in an honor and reverence to it. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Mark 16, verse one. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they watched, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, and trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Yes, so these good Jewish women, they observe the Sabbath, right? They' don't go, they don't go and anoint Jesus' body on the Sabbath because they, they, they're good Jewish women, they observe the Sabbath, and they wait till the next day to go and, and, and anoint Jesus' body on the third day. And as they're going, they're thinking to themselves and talking and saying, "Well wow, we haven't really thought this through, ladies. Like how are we going to move this stone? Like how does this?" How does it like? What are we going to do? Maybe the Roman guards will do it. Maybe they won't. What are we going to do when we get there? And they arrive, and to their kind of surprise, the stone is already moved. It's already open. They stare into an open tomb. And as they kind of peer in, they see a young boy dressed in all white sitting there on the right side. And they're kind of. Nothing is making sense, right? It's confusion, right? There's no category for this. And he looks at them and he says, Oh, don't, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He's, he's not here, he is risen. He's not here. See the place where he lay? Right? He's like, Would you like me to give you the tour of the tomb? Here's where they laid the body, right? Here's the blood stains, right? That's where it is, right? Anything else you ladies would like to know? Hey, while you're at it, why don't you go tell the disciples and Peter, right, that he's going to go before you all to, to Galilee, just like, he, just like he said, like he told you he was going to do. And in this moment, right, it says that they are seized with trembling and astonishment. Right? Like, everything for them has been, like, deconstructed in their mind. Like, everything they were expecting to find is not happening in the way that they thought it was supposed to happen, right? This mom just wants to come and anoint the body of her dead son, who she had to watch be crucified. And she gets, and nothing is fitting, and nothing is making sense. And they're seized with trembling, and they're seized with wonder and amazement. They're astonished at this. And they flee. They run, and they don't tell anybody. They're just like, I'm out of here. And I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like a perfectly fair emotion, Right? I, anybody in the room feel feel like that's a that's a fair emotion? Like, like, if you went to the tomb of like your kid and like they're not there anymore, like, they, like the, the earth's been like, dug up and the casket's like open, and they're, like and there's like somebody sitting there, like, oh no, no, he, he was here, but he's not here anymore. Like he's, he's gone. He, you'll see him in a, in a little bit. Just go back to just go home. Right? It's, like, what is happening? They're blown away by this. And this is actually where Mark's gospel ends. Chapter 16, verse 8 is the end of Mark's gospel. Now, some of you are looking at your Bible and you're like, no, 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 there's there's verse 9. I got verse 9 in my Bible. Mark's gospel ends at verse 8. It ends at verse 8. Mark ends his gospel with this cliffhanger, not with Jesus, but with the emotions of the women, this astonishment of the women. That's how he ends his gospel. It's like Jesus isn't there. What's going on? What's happening? I don't know. That's the end. It's a perfect cliffhanger ending. But what happens is that the other gospel writers, right, John and Luke and Matthew, they include all of these other details. The disciples on the road to Emmaus encountering Jesus Disciples in the upper room encountering Jesus, but Thomas isn't there, and so, so Thomas comes and he doesn't believe any of them, and so Jesus then appears to Thomas and all the other disciples, and Thomas gets to put his fingers in his wounds, and his, all these other things, and five thousand people seeing him after his death, all this stuff is included in the other gospels, and so the scribes later who are transcribing Mark's gospel are bothered by the cliffhanger ending, right? Like, what is this? This is a terrible way to end. Like, you got to tell people what happened. And so the scribes later add in these other details in Mark's gospel. But for those of you who have been traveling through Mark's gospel with us, you know this. Mark doesn't write everything in perfect chronological order. He writes things in order to communicate certain things. There is a well thought out reason in Mark's mind why he ends his gospel in this way. It doesn't end with Jesus. It ends with these women. Mark is trying to help you write yourself into the story. He's leaving you with his cliffhanger ending so that you would look into the tomb and say, no, 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 what happened to Jesus. Like, what actually happened? Like, I've got to know. Mark's not thinking, oh, 2,000 years from now, some guy in Bountiful Utah will be, like, reading this to a room full of people. You're not thinking that. He's thinking about the people who live right there in his immediate context. You can go talk to them. Those women are still alive when Mark writes this. You can go talk to the disciples. They're still alive when Mark writes this. Go find out for yourself. Mark wants you to discover Jesus. He wants you to pursue him and for you to find him. And so that's kind of my hope this morning. All I want to do for the rest of our time is just kind of lay two things before us. I want to ask the question, what can we learn about Jesus just from Mark's words? What can we learn from this account about Jesus? And what does it mean for our lives? What does it mean for my life? What does it mean for your life, right? So what does its story tell us about Jesus I think there's a lot to learn, but the one thing that kind of stands out to me is the reaction of the angel versus the reaction of the women, right? We are talking about the women, how they're kind of astonished by all of this. But the reaction of the angel is totally different. It's totally different. Right? I don't know if you can kind of cast your minds for a minute back to Christmas, right? Some of you are like, I remember Christmas. That was the last time I was here. Um, zing, gotcha, just kidding, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Uh Catch your minds back for Christmas for a second, right? Christmas. What do the angels do? Luke chapter two. On Christmas, they show up to the shepherds. Right, this one angel shows up to the shepherds. He speaks what has happened, what has taken place, and all of a sudden, the skies are ripped open. This heavenly host begins to sing the, the glory of God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill to those with whom He is well pleased. It's amazing, like eruption of song and praise by this this multitude of heavenly host, and the the, the shepherds hit the deck, it's like they burst forth with praise because the birth of Jesus astonishes them. It blows the angel's mind that God would put on flesh, would be born in the likeness of men, and not just in the likeness of men, but in a manger with these animals in this way, like to be so vulnerable, to be so weak. Oh, this is insane, so we see this eruption from the angels. But now fast forward to the resurrection. What happens? Who is sent here? Is it some terrifying angel with like some massive flaming sword, like ready to let go? No, the text is like a young boy. It's a young it's a young, young man, clothed in white, sitting there on the right, is this small, small, I might get in trouble for this someday when I go to heaven. This kind of smallish angel, right? And what does he do? Does he birth forth in song and praise? No. He just communicates the simple facts. You're looking for Jesus Christ, who was crucified. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, right? He's risen. He's not here, but you can see where he lay. He was here. Here's where he laid down, right? But he's not here anymore. He's risen. Why don't you go meet up with him where he told you he was going to meet up with him? It's so, it's it's so underwhelming. So not grandiose. Why? Why? The angel is not surprised. He's not caught off guard by the resurrection. He's not blown away by it. To him, this is a natural law of divine physics. For the angels, just, of course, he's not here. Of course, he's risen, right? Because to him, it's just a natural law of divine physics. You know the laws of physics. Well, you know some of the. You know a little bit of the laws of physics. Maybe some of you know the laws of physics, right? Uh, you, you you understand this. Every every uh, action has an equal and opposite. Reaction. Okay, we, we do, we do. An object in motion will remain in motion unless it's acted on by an outside force, right? What goes up must come down. It's not a law of physics, but it's kind of a law of physics, right? And we're not surprised by it. Well, if you throw a ball in the air and it comes back down and lands on the ground, you're not like, oh my gosh, the ball landed on the ground. Like nobody, nobody is surprised by it because that's what a ball does. That's just what it does. And the, the angel in the same way is just like, this is a natural law of divine Physics, the resurrection, right? For us, we say, man, it's the greatest miracle ever. It's the greatest miracle ever because Jesus rose from the dead for you, for me. Right? Death is the end. Like, death is coming for every single one of us. And we know people who have died. We've been close to people who have died. And we've buried it on the ground. And they're not here today. Like they they're not, they're not sitting in this room this morning. Like they are dead. And so for us, for Jesus to raise from the dead is insane. But from God's perspective, life is forever and death is just the interruption of that. Of course he rose from the dead. Of Of course he did. Because life is forever. The resurrection declares that Jesus is life. That's what I want you to see this morning. The first thing about Jesus, Jesus is life. And the resurrection declares this. John's gospel, the main thrust of John's gospel, is this very idea that Jesus is the holder, the sustainer, the creator, and life himself. He has it and he is it. And he has given it. John 1, 3, he starts off right at the beginning with this. He says, all things are made through him. And without him not was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Right? Everything has tried to overcome this life, but nothing can overcome it. It is shown through darkness. It is shown through death. Life was in him. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has it in him. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he turns to Lazarus' sister, Martha, and he says this, he, says, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha, do you believe this? That I am the resurrection and the life. I don't want to say the power of resurrection. I, I, I can't just... Make resurrection happen. No, no, I am resurrection, and I am life. I am the source of life. For us, this is mind-blowing, because we know that one day we will die, and that's unavoidable. But for Jesus, resurrection was unavoidable. He is the resurrection and the life. Sin and death could not contain him, because he is resurrection, and death and resurrection don't don't go together. Last summer, uh, I went with my family up to Boise. Uh, and even some, some people in the room were with us on this, on this trip. And we, we spent a few days there and dropped my son off at camp. And uh, before we did, we, we, we stayed at a hotel. And we did a bunch of swimming, like a lot of swimming, And we found this ball. It was a basketball, not a beach ball. But we were trying to, uh, my son Winston was trying to push it all the way down to the bottom of the pool. Um, And it wasn't like a super deep pool, but it was like still pretty deep. And he's trying to swim, 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 trying to push it down. He can't quite get it to the bottom. And so then it turns into this game where I'm, like, on top of Winston. I'm, like, shoving him down, and he's, like, holding his breath for as long as he possibly can. He keeps slipping out of his hands and, like, coming up and hitting him in the face, like, again and again. He comes up, like, crying. He's, like, let's try it again, Dad. It turns into this whole thing. And finally, he swims, 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 touches it to the bottom of the pool. And he comes up, and he's victorious, and he's done it. And what happens to the ball? It pops right back up. You can push it down again and again and again, but you and I know that ball pops right back up. Every single one of us in this room, right? You you put, put you in a pool, and you give you a ball, and eventually you're going to start trying pushing that ball and letting it pop back up. Push it down, pops back up, right? Why? Because it's got air in it, right? It's, 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 listen, these aren't trick questions, I promise. Okay, right? You contain air and something, you push it down under water, and it's going to pop back up. It's just it's just a law. It's how it works. It doesn't matter. You can can go to the rec center and you can push it all the way down to the bottom of the deep end. You can go 10 feet down, push that ball down there, it's gonna pop back up. You can go into the ocean. You can go 50 feet down, 100 feet down. As long as it doesn't pop, right? It's gonna pop back up. The same way, man, when we come before the cross of Christ on Good Friday, God lays all of our sin on Christ. In the curse of that sin, my death, Your death is laid on Christ and it pushes and it presses and it pushes him down all the way to death and he gives himself over to death to purchase and to redeem you. But just like that ball that's pushed down to the bottom of the pool, he is resurrection and he is life. And so on Easter morning, he pops back up. He raises to new life because in him is life. He is life and he is resurrection. The flesh that Jesus put on was filled with life and filled with resurrection because he is life and he is resurrection. Sin and death cannot contain him. Sin and death cannot hold him in. There's no possible way. And so for the angel that Easter morning, the angel says, yeah, of course, he, he rose, Because that's what resurrection and life do. It's just what it does. And I'm not trying to say this to make little of the resurrection. I'm not saying, oh yeah, the resurrection is no big deal. I'm just saying it's a natural law of divine physics. I'm not making light of the resurrection. I'm just making much of Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, the greatest preacher who's ever lived other than Jesus, in my opinion, put it this way. He said, the fact of the resurrection is not extraordinary. It's not extraordinary. It is in accord with what we who believe at all believe to be the uniform law of life, that death does not touch it. Death can't hold it down. If Jesus is life, death cannot hold him. And because Jesus is eternal life, the way of the cross ends with resurrection. It ends with resurrection. That leads us to you and I. You see, throughout all of this entire work, Mark has been pointing you and I to the same thing. For those of you who've been with us, you know this. For the last third of this book, Mark has been calling us to kind of awaken to this reality that Jesus is calling us to live out the way of the resurrection. Jesus is calling us to live out the way of the resurre- Live out the way of the cross. Excuse me. Live out the way of the cross. Famously, Jesus begins this in Mark eight thirty four and thirty five. He says this. He says, and calling the crowd to himself with the disciples, he said to them, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it." but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. We're called by Jesus to be a people of the cross and not be people who are trying to save our life, trying with all of our might to get the ball to rise to the surface, like just, just work a little harder to get the ball to float back up to the surface. No, Jesus says, no, no, give your life. Take up your cross. Come follow me. That's the call of Jesus throughout all of Mark. This is the main thrust and the main theme that we're seeing again and again and again. Jesus brings us up again and again and again. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm gonna give up my life. and You've gotta come after me. You've gotta to come too. Where does the way of the cross lead you? And where does the way of the cross lead me? The way of the cross leads to resurrection. Every day single time the way of the cross leads to resurrection as we release our grasp on life jesus who is our life fills us jesus our resurrected king has life on offer for those who choose the way of the cross and i don't mean listen to me yes someday when i die i will be resurrected in christ My body will rise from the dead. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about right now, this moment. My life right now can be filled with the same power of the resurrection that filled Christ and can be lifted up in the same way that Christ was lifted up right now. You can experience the power of resurrection in your life. Again, this is what John is trying to convey in his gospel again and again and again. John 4.10, Jesus says this. He answers her. This is the woman at the well. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus understands that without him, your soul is parched It is thirsty, and it is barren, and it is dry, and it's an unquenchable thirst. You are not going to ever satisfy the thirst of your soul. And you've tried. We've tried. I've tried to satisfy the desires, the thirst of the soul with success and fame, to satisfy the desires of our soul, the thirst of our soul with pornography and sex and lust. We've tried to satisfy the thirst of our soul again and again and again with all the things that the world says that will fill us, will relieve our thirst. But Jesus says, no, no, no. What you've longed for, what you thirst for is living water. It's only found in him. John 6, 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever chooses the way of the cross, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me, Shall never thirst, right? There's a hunger of the soul, a discontentedness. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be more purpose and more meaning. There's got to be more significance. There's got to be more to life. Jesus says, it's in me. I'm the bread of life. Let me fill you completely with purpose and meaning and significance. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me chooses the way of the cross. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have a light of life. There is a darkness of the soul. And we know this, a depression, a sorrow. We live in a world filled with sorrow and suicide. And so many people cannot see a way out of the darkness of the soul. Jesus says, it's right here. I am the light of the world, the light of life. It's who I am. I am the way out. Famously, John 10, 10 Jesus says, the thief comes to st- only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, Satan is constantly trying to say, you want life? Come on over here. It's so rare. Have you bought this thing? Have you tried this thing? have you have you thought about maybe this one or this person this this husband or this this girl have you have you have you tried this because that's life come check it try and the whole time he's only stealing and killing and destroying because he's moving you away from the source of life the one who came to give life and give it abundantly the main thrust of the gospel is not believe behave and one day you're gonna raise from the dead and go to heaven it's no come experience the life of Christ right now right now and we do this by going to the cross. The way to life is the way of the cross. So many of us have been told along the way that the way of life is by doing more church things. right? If you just pursue religion... And if you, could just, if you could just give a little bit more time and give a little bit more money and kind of climb that worthiness ladder, right? God has a plan of salvation for you. That's the way to eternal life. If you want to experience life, just do all these things. And it never works. And I know it doesn't work because you're sitting here right now and you've done all those things and you're still weary and you're still tired. And you say, where is the life? If you're honest with yourself. And you let people peek through the facade that your religious activity has built up. There's a weary man or a weary woman who desperately needs life. Others of us have bought into the idea that the way to life is through success. If I could just get my business up to this place, if I could just make this amount of money, if I just had the perfect family, then I would have life and life abundantly but you know it isn't true because you've actually, some of you have actually attained those things. You've actually reached those heights and it has not satisfied you. The flourishing life that Jesus offers is only found in Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am living water. It's not found anywhere else. You're never going to find anywhere else. He is the source, and it all flows out of him. And Jesus wants to fill those who pursue the way of the cross. He wants to fill you. Jesus gives his life on the cross to take all of your death and all of your sins, to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness so that he might come and reside within you and fill you with this very life, with the power of the resurrection. Paul says this in Colossians 1, 27. To them, to the Jews, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. We need Christ to fill and permeate every square inch of our lives. And yet so many of us, so many of us in this room have spent our days trying to bear the weight of sin and the weight of culture and the weight of the world and the weight of religion on our own shoulders. We're in the pool and we're kicking and we're kicking and we're kicking and we're kicking. We're trying to get to the surface and it's pressing us down, and pressing us down, and pressing us down. And, and we, are, we are out of air and you have come in this morning just weary and you're tired. And you know there's got to be more to life. You know that there's got to be a way out of this. And you've been doing all the right things. But the weight of even the right things is pushing you down farther and farther and farther and farther. Friends, there's only one thing that will lift you out of there. You must be filled with the resurrection and the life. You must be filled with Jesus. And We know this. Some of you in the room this morning, for the first time ever, need to invite Jesus to fill you. You need to choose the way of the cross. Say, my life is not mine. I lay it at the cross. I nail it to the cross. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for the King of Kings. I want my life to be with him. My friend Nate at the 915 prayed this prayer this morning. He said, Jesus, I give you my life. And I'm sorry for trying to do it on my own for so long. I'm sorry for for thinking that, man, in my arrogance and my pride that I was powerful enough. But I realize now that only the power of the resurrection can resurrect me. And you are the resurrection and you are the life. And so my life is yours. It is no longer mine. I surrender to you. I'll live for you for the rest of my days. And some of you need to pray that prayer this morning. Some of you need to go to Jesus this morning. Some of you need to beg him to fill you others of you have convinced yourself. Because you've said, no, 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 I did that. I did that a long time ago. And you did. You gave your life to Jesus. Said, Here's, here's my life. It's all, it's all yours. Like, that's, that's yours. You can, you can have my life. What's, what's that behind your back there? What you got going on there? Oh, no, no, this, this is just a few things. I got this. Don't worry about that. No, never mind. Like, he's busy. He's the resurrection and life. There's a lot of responsibility in that. I'll take care of these don't worry about it. Don't, like these, these things, they're not, it's okay. Don't worry about it. These are mine. I'll take care of them. I got, I got this. Let me ask you, where in your life are you the most weary? What in your life is keeping you up at night? What's your greatest source of pride? Like, what is just like, Man, I, I, I build myself, I pride myself and that everybody knows that I am blank. I can blank. You answer that, and I'll tell you exactly what you're holding behind your back. What have you built your identity on? What do you want everybody to know is true of you? That's what you're holding on to. It's also what's weighting you down. It's what gives you the most grief, the most restlessness, the most weariness, the most tiredness. It's the one thing that you haven't nailed to the cross and said, this is not mine either. It's yours. And today I'm choosing to live completely and fully the way of the cross. I deny myself. I take up my cross. I'm coming after Jesus. I want him to fill every area of my life. I mean, think about, like, what, what, why would you ever expect to have life in your marriage if your marriage isn't filled with the source of life, if it's not filled with the resurrection of life? Well, why would we expect to have life in my family and my kids and my household if my house isn't filled with the resurrection and the life? What would I expect if I have life in my career if my career is not filled with the resurrection and the life? I need the resurrection and life in every area of my life. I must be fully exposed and nailed to the cross and say, it's all yours. Fill it. Fill it. And my hope for us at Flourishing Grace is that we'd be a people completely surrendered, constantly, constantly looking at ourselves and saying, what am I hiding behind my back? What am I clinging to? Constantly saying, no, I'm not. Like no longer to hold these things and be this person. It's all Jesus and that he would fill us. And there'd be hundreds of Christ-filled, resurrection-filled beach balls all over South Davis County. And the whole world would be looking in and saying, how is that possible? Like, that's amazing that you can live your life that way, that you can live your career that way. It's amazing that your marriage that way. How is it possible? You say, it's not, oh, it's not amazing. It's so a law of divine physics. The resurrection, the life has filled every area of my life. So therefore, every area of my life rises above sin and rises above death. Because the power of the resurrection has been placed in me by the one who is the resurrection alive, Jesus. Let's surrender our life to him. Every square inch of it.